0: That är den Carlson, 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 Hoya, Carlson, 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 fact Ingen, Carlson, 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 som Carlson, 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 ingen, faktiskt, ingen Carlson. Carlson. Carlson, 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 scores. Carlson, yeah. Carlson, yes. Buddy, and welcome to
1: another episode of the keeping back carlson fantasy hockey podcast the longest running back fantasy hockey podcast in the world hosted by two guys who participated in some projections last year and did okay but today we're joined by a third guy who did much much better i'm your host elon Dubrowski, and with me first is my co-host the fantasy hockey robot brian calm
2: hello elon hello everybody we have been working so hard to get everything geared up for fantasy season you uh, i've i'm already in my cupful slow draft i'm talking about setting up a couple other leagues too i'm really excited making all kinds of mistakes that dom is going to explain to me
1: oh brian uh, i didn't say who it was yet it was gonna be a surprise
2: crap sorry (laughs) uh well that mystery guest number three (laughs) is going to explain uh whether i was right or wrong at taking the swings i've taken so i can't wait for the personalized draft advice while everybody has to listen to it
1: uh, hey that's uh, how we started this podcast here brian was me just asking you for advice and here we are seven eight years later whatever okay let's get to this mystery guest number three that no one has any idea who it is even though i guess when you downloaded the episode it probably said that it is our show with the great dom lucision from the athletic who every year comes up with projections that are world famous he ranked very high on fantasy ref dom also writes awesome articles you can follow him on twitter he's all over the place dom thank you so much for joining us on keeping carlson
0: yeah, no problem. Uh, every year I owe you guys uh, one podcast appearance, even though uh, I hate podcasts. Those is uh, a true treat for y'all. <laughs> when you say you
2: hate podcasts, does that mean like you hate listening to them or you hate the people who do them?
0: Uh, mostly listening, not, <laughs> not necessarily the people doing them. I'm sure they're Just- they're great, most of them.
2: Okay, good. I just didn't want my identity to feel attacked, but I appreciate Mm -hmm. that that you make the exception for us. I really do. It's amazing.
1: (laughs) Brian, I feel like, you know, it's worth an ego hit just to get Dom on the show. So take the identity crisis and let's just run with it. So, Dom, uh, we have a plan for today, which is we have all of your projections, which are available, I guess oh yeah first of all Dom does projections every year and every year I ask him how do you come up with these projections so I guess we'll just do all that again but yeah to, to say the plan for the show uh, Dom has his projections then this year we did uh, crowdsource projections with our patrons to give point goal and assist projections for every single player I made a fancy spreadsheet used some VLOOKUP and next thing you know I got a list of the players that Dom and the patrons disagreed with the most and the plans we're going to go through each of the interesting players and get Dom's take on if he agrees with the patrons or with himself uh so we'll see because i know one thing dom is that you're always saying that the projections aren't exactly your opinion right like you sort of have this model and the model spits it out and you just have to live with it
0: yeah and i remember last year you were expecting me to be like very contentious and defend everything i do and (laughs) i'm just like yeah you know what that makes sense and uh i think you you do need to have uh that hockey mind to know when to sort of go against projections when you want to be optimistic about a certain player or pessimistic and I think a wisdom of the crowd approach that you guys are doing is a a smart way to handle that what I do with my projections is I basically use the last three years of a player's stats and I weight it by recency I regress to the mean based on how many minutes they've played so someone who's only played one season will get regressed heavier than someone who's been here for three years, I age adjust. So younger players get a boost, older players see a decline. And I also, when I regress the mean, I regress to their role. So a first line player, he'll be regressed to other first line players and not the entire population mean. Cause I found that made it a lot, a, a bit too conservative. And it's one of the things I've changed in, I guess, recent years to sort of combat that. And Then what I do after that is I project time on ice and I talk to all the beat writers uh, at the athletic and they say, I think this guy is going to be on the second line. I think this guy's going to be on the first line. And I apply the projections to those time on ice projections. I do that for even strength and on the power play. And that's basically it.
2: Okay, so you mentioned over the years, one thing you've changed is making sure you account for a player's role and how much you're aggressing them, which is great, right? Because a, a first line player shouldn't be considered to be on the same regression curve as a third or fourth line mm-hmm. player. Um, is there any specific other change you've made between last year and this year, like a lesson you've learned that you've been able to add into your model or one that you haven't figured out how to add into your model yet? Or is it more or less the same under the hood? I, I don't remember if
0: I did this exactly last year, but I made my power play projections more explicit. The way I used to do it was I looked at how many minutes a player, like how many, what percentage of minutes he played on the power play. So Ovechkin is always around like 90%, McDavid at 80%. And I would base their power play point totals on how much I expected that to change. And this year, rather than do that, I... Legitimately just like looked at how many minutes they played last year and how many minutes I expect them to play this year, what unit they're going to be on, and that I think should be more accurate. I don't know if I made that change last year or at the beginning of the year, middle of the year, but I know it's probably the most recent thing I've done.
1: So that sounds like that's like the main insight that you're putting in. Like a lot of it is just, you said you have your plan of how much you're going to weight stats from previous years, but then it sounds like you're putting in from your discussions with beat writer in the athletic, like this, like predictions of like line time on ice and line combinations and things like that. Is that published or is that just like baked in as the secret sauce that go into your projections?
0: Well, it's baked in because it's sort of there. If you sort by time on ice, you can... see how much has changed. You can compare it to last year and see that certain players go up, certain players go down based on how their role is expected to change. And I would say that probably is the secret sauce to everything because projecting time ice is so hard. And I used to do it with depth charts, a similar strategy, but it's a lot easier having that conversation with uh, every beat writer and getting their perspective on the teams they follow closely.
1: Yeah, I mean, it makes perfect sense. It's such a great resource for you to have. And
0: yeah, mm-hmm. I really
1: love the way you do this. Also, I know that uh, this Time on Ice thing, I feel like it's so obvious And yet it's like not something everyone thinks about. Like I know, Brian, like last year we kept on talking about like, why are all the Dallas Stars not doing as well as we expected them to, you know, Pavelski and Radulov and Sagan and Ben, like everyone was down from what we expect going into the year. And I remember, Brian, your answer every single time was, well, they've taken like three, four time on ice minutes off their totals and that's going to make a huge difference. And I guess, yeah, I feel like maybe that'll be the answer that you have for us when we talk about some of these players this year. Maybe it'll just be this player you don't expect to have as much ice time as previously.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of that. Dallas is really bad for that. Nashville, too. I'm pretty sure Phil Forsberg could be a 75 or 80-point player if he played on a team that liked him.
1: Right. <laughs> uh, I know, though, you do have one other, I guess, I don't know if it's a secret sauce or more of your opinion thing, or uh, because we were just talking before the show that another thing you've added this year is your putting some weightings in for strength of schedule, which I think is going to answer a lot of these questions. You have this article on The Athletic all about how you think certain divisions are going to be scoring more goals than the other ones, and that needs to affect our projections. And Brian, we haven't really gotten into that at all this year in terms of like updating what we think about players based on what division they're in.
2: No, we've barely had the opportunity to because it took so long for the NHL to finalize what their divisions are. And it still like feels like they could still change at any moment. But given what we have, Dom, I asked this question, or we tried to talk about this question a couple weeks ago and got somewhere with it. But I'm curious what your take is. Do you think the divisions have a greater imbalance this year than in previous years? In other words, are some players going to take advan- get to take advantage of a strength of schedule uh, or weakness of schedule more so than players have had the opportunity to in the traditional four divisions.
0: I really do. Cause generally speaking in a normal season, every player plays every team and it sort of like bounces out over 82 games. The season is strange where you're playing the same six or seven t- teams, nine or 10 times, eight times. So that's going to have a much bigger effect than usual. I think when, a player on Toronto is only playing Edmonton, Calgary, Montreal, a lot of Ottawa, instead of getting those games against Tampa, Boston, getting those West coast trips against stingy defensive teams like Dallas or Minnesota or St. Louis. And that is something I accounted for this year in my projections. I don't know if many others have, but I took a look at the defensive value of all the players on each team. I looked at the goaltending on each team and I sort of, measured how much back can have an effect on each team's goal scoring. And what I found was it's going to be a lot easier in Canada to score goals and a lot harder out West to score goals.
2: Okay. That was actually my next question. Like if you could just, cause it's going to come up a lot so we could just get it out of the way right at the start. So you said Canada's probably the the easiest division to score goals then the one out west west yeah is is the one that's going to be the stingiest in terms of goal scoring and are are the two in the middle sort of close to one another
0: yeah so the two in the middle they're both pretty close to average so the best defensive teams will see a bit of a boost like tampa bay in the central division they will score a little more than usual because the rest of the teams aren't that great but a team like Detroit, they'll still have a hard time because they need to face Tampa Bay eight times.
1: Right. Yeah, and I guess it makes sense. Out West, you've got San Jose with their amazing tandem of Dubnik and <laughs> Martin Jones. So I guess teams will be able to score some goals in those games. But aside from that, yeah, the teams that the Sharks are playing, Anaheim, Arizona, Colorado, LA, Minnesota, you know, like LA is not known for being an awesome team, but they actually were pretty good at keeping goals out of the net. And a lot of people I know are high on like Cal Peterson. Yeah, like looking at it, I totally agree with you. Oh, they have Vegas with Robin Leonard uh yeah that's you you mentioned uh, off air that you think san jose is a team that people should just be staying away from this year because of their difficulty of schedule so you would say like don't draft any sharks not even our favorite eric carlson
0: not don't draft them don't right. <laughs> overdraft them um so brian mentioned he took thomas hurdle it depends if you got thomas hurdle as a steal or adam at his general adp i think that's the bigger issue
2: Right. So I'm, I'm furiously loading my draft results right now. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I got them in the ninth round. So that would be, you know, right at the start of the ninth round. So, uh, there's 14 teams times eight picks. So I got them about 114th
0: overall. Okay. That seems okay. I don't. I don't know the ADP
1: off by yes. heart, but I'm sure it's <laughs> just fine. take it. Okay. Uh, yeah, but yeah, Carlson is a guy who you do have lower than our patrons projected, and I'm sure the patrons weren't considering the schedule because uh, because the divisions weren't even set at that point. Uh, the patrons had Carlson uh, on average at 63 points. Uh, with a high of 75 and a low of 45 but it mean down at 63 you have him down at 57 which is kind of like an insult to our friend eric carlson but i guess now you've justified it pretty well and i got to imagine also the age regression do you like take injuries into account at all like is it like the concern that carlson hasn't been healthy for a while is that something that goes into your projections or not at all
0: yeah so it is it's all of those things i think i started doing games play projections two years ago because i found that they do actually help and carlson not playing full seasons over the past two years or so it does hurt his games play projection on in terms of power play time he's gonna see a fair split with burns probably still get his fair share but it won't be what he's used to from back in the day in ottawa um and just playing in that division where every single other team is a difficult team to beat defensively you got vegas who has a great defensive team plus liner you have saint louis great defensive team, plus Binnington. you got Minnesota. Their goaltending isn't great, but they're a great defensive team. John Gibson, Darcy Kemper, they're all there. And even LA isn't that bad. So it will be very tough for them to score. And literally every Shark player in my model took a drop because of how difficult it will be.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. By the way, I'll just mention that when I said that you projected him for 57 points, I actually ignored, or I didn't ignore your gameplay projection, but I like changed it to an 82 game pace. So actually all the times that I'm going to be mentioning your projections, I'm going to be referring to your 82 game pace projection, just so it could match up with what the uh, patrons projected.
2: And what you mentioned about the Sharks being in that West division, like, yeah, anybody hoping that they like are ready to bounce back where I am bearish on them rather than bullish but still that western division even the bad teams like the i'll say quote unquote bad lest i upset anybody but you look at anaheim one of the best goalies in the league arizona knows how to shut it down around kemper who's been one of the best goalies in the league la elan already mentioned has a great defensive system minnesota historically has had one too so even the the teams that should be weak uh, unfortunately, their one strength is generally on defense, and that is in stark contrast to, you know, you look at the central and you've got Chicago and Detroit and Florida, who, I mean, Florida might be the exception there, but who are missing a goalie, uh, and, and a defense for the most part. So, uh, so that's really, uh, you know, I wish I had thought, <laughs> through more of the well. sooner, although I really only have Hurdle from the West, so maybe I'm going to keep it that way and make like a cupful draft. One thing, just going back to how you um, regress for age, um, we had a question come up in the chat because we've been having um, this chat on our patrons only Discord server about peripherals and how to project them over the last few weeks. And so Jeremy in the chat, who uh, is, is really great in our, in our server, by the way, he helps with a lot of stuff. So thanks, Jeremy. But his question is, do you model age curves, especially for things like peripherals? Like, I noticed you project Quinn Hughes for a surprisingly large increase in hits and blocks. And I wonder what caused that, or if it's just time on ice like just a matter of oh well these are his normal rates he's gonna get this much more time on ice and and that's why or do you actually expect him to hit or block more
0: i i don't have age curves for hits or blocks i highly think it's just goals assists and shots uh i'll have to double check it might be there for blocks but i'm not sure i think the big thing with hughes is i expect him to play like four more minutes or so Right. So that's probably the main reason he's ahead. It's also possible that I was wrong somewhere and there's an error in the calculation because I, I saw that he was up really high. And I'm like, that's that does seem high for you. So I'm not 100% sure, but I don't use any age curbs for the peripheral stuff other than shots.
2: That's interesting. Like, I wonder. I don't know. Something maybe to think about and play with. Just because I drafted, and we'll we'll talk about this later. Again, this is all going to be about my draft. Which, by the way, <laughs> Matt in my chat is is in my division. He reminded me that I also drafted Evander Kane. So, uh, so I've got two sharks. Uh, but, um, I like someone like Mark Giordano, who's 37 years old. Like, is he going to hit and block less than he historically has, just because he's older and his body can't hold up? Like, I'm just curious whether you could create an aging curve for, for peripherals, which I've never seen, right? It's generally take the player's lo- average from the last couple of years. And, you know, you can tweak it a little for ice time, but not for age.
0: Yeah, it, it makes sense when you bring up the Giordano example. I feel like I've seen certain players block shots less, just like anecdotally. I think Drew Doughty is one of those players who block shots less than he used to. So it's something to probably look into, but it's not something I have yet.
1: Uh, I think the thing with Quinn Hughes is like, Like, I always think back to how Eric Carlson was never a big peripherals guy for the first few years of his career. Like, he didn't block a lot. Then there was that one random year, like, four or five years ago, where he, like, was almost leading the league in blocks, and Mm -hmm. it it kind of came out of nowhere. made no sense. So I've kind of been thinking, like, yeah, like, Quinn Hughes doesn't seem like the kind of guy that you're going to draft because you're expecting him to give you, like, you know, a big boost in peripherals. Like, you're drafting him mainly for offense, but also I don't like to just assume that someone who was a teenager in their first season is going to, like, hold on to those peripherals. So anyway, it makes sense to me, but also the extra ice time, it makes sense.
0: (laughs) Do you know what's possible here? It might be the regression because he's regressed with other number one defensemen. So the average would probably like really boost him up because he's being, because it'd be the average taken from all the other number ones who do block a lot.
1: Oh, okay. So you're saying now that he's a for sure number one defenseman, that changes what you expect him to do. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. All right, so we actually have a lot of stuff to get into here with you in terms of, like I said, comparing your projections to the PPP, which is the Patron Projection Project. I guess to start, though, one piece of news that came out yesterday, but I promise I'll tie it in because I know it's not actually that interesting for fantasy on its surface, but Derek Stepan got traded to the Ottawa Senators for a second round pick, and I saw you made fun of it on Twitter. Uh, Everyone's very funny on Twitter, by the way. Whenever a trade goes down that people don't agree with, it's always like a really good time Mm. on hockey Twitter. Uh, Do you have a sense of like why the sentence would do this? Uh, No. (laughs) <laughs> I <laughs> um, because i thought they're rebuilding um it's because
2: interaction for some. Yeah. is there can you make any sense of why the Sens did this and just like a very sad no coming on the <laughs> other side
0: it's because his cap hit is 6.5 million and he only makes 2 million it's a very classic Sens move but right. it just doesn't make sense because they should be acquiring assets with step Arizona should be paying Ottawa right. to take them off their hands, not getting a second round pick back.
1: Right, of course.
0: Right. They did the Coyotes a big
2: favor. I, I will mention, not that it excuses anything, because like a second round pick is a second round pick. Uh, but the Coyotes uh, got Columbus's second round pick back, and Ottawa still holds their own and San Jose's. But yeah, like the Coyotes now have $3 million in cap space, where they were in uh, cap trouble before the deal. And that like you look at um, how the Canucks acquired Paul Stasny for a fourth round pick to help the Golden Knights out of Cap Jail. It's it's wild that the Sens got a worse center who I think costs about the same, if not more um, for a higher pick.
1: Yeah. Brian, did you say the Canucks? the the Jets got sorry the Jets the other
2: Canadian team
1: (laughs) so Dom uh you projected Derek Stepan for 35 point pace in your projections I assume you're not going to be rushing to change that now that he's in Ottawa like you'd assume that he's going to have a decent opportunity to be a top six center right uh
0: I would expect so but I don't really see him doing much different it's not like he's going from one terrible offensive team to a real good one he's going from Arizona to Ottawa (laughs)
1: Right, yeah. And then I I think the other players that I want to ask about, because they were guys I noticed anyways, but like Barrett Hayton, maybe is this good news for him because now he has an easier easier ascension to the top six in Arizona? And again, like you said, Arizona's not a very high scoring team, so it's not as if you'd expect much. And they're in this division that you said is like the division of death. Uh, But uh, Mm -hmm. is this the kind of move? Am I right to assume that Barrett Hayton maybe deserves to be moved up people's draft boards a little bit just because now Stepan's not in the way, or was Stepan not going to be in the way anyways?
0: I I don't know, because I don't, because I don't think i'd have like hayden like even on my radar but i guess he's a former top five picks and someone has to score in arizona so this could be the year he makes a step but he feels like a guy that might be on waivers and you take him after like his first week being good just
2: to summarize you know the sends needed depth at center uh now the coyotes do too like they have they have hayton there are other guys that are available to play center you've got nick schmaltz and Kristen dvorak and johan larsen who i feel has mostly played wing in his career but can also play center so like it's not it's still like better than minnesota but i don't know better than anybody else for the coyotes and their center depth
1: no i don't know brian like i mean schmaltz Dvorak, Hayton, and even Clayton Keller can play center. That's not terrible. Like I mean, these aren't like nothing names. But anyway,
2: Dom uh, Keller can play center.
1: I think I've seen him play center.
2: Okay,
1: Dom could tell us. I don't think he plays much center. Okay, <laughs> you win. Uh, so one player now getting to the projections that actually matter. Uh, there's a guy that used to be a uh, sure bet for like point per game or higher back when he was on the Penguins. Then he went to Arizona last year and totally fell off a cliff. of course, I'm talking about Phil Kessel. And I see that you actually pegged him in your projections for a bit of a bounce back next year. You pegged him for a 57 point pace, even though last year he paced for only 45. The patrons were not as uh, bullish. They projected uh, Kessel for 48 points on average. And again, you're at 57. And he's even in this division where you've been giving people a hit. Mm-hmm. So that must mean you really like Phil Kessel, uh, is that is that true?
0: I think it's the issue of still having that data from the Penguins' years, like mm. sort of clouding everything. I Even with that, though, I don't think he's a 45-point player. I think he still has something left in him. I think he was a bit unlucky last year in terms of percentages. This is just off the top of my head. I'm not 100% sure if that's the case, but based on his scoring rates, I feel like that was probably the case. He'll still get ample power play time. I just... I think there's room for him to bounce back. I don't think he's completely washed yet.
2: You're right about those percentages. Kessel had a career-low 5-on-5 shooting percentage, just 4.5%. Although, like, his his expected goals rates also dropped, but not so substantially (laughs) that you'd expect all of a sudden him to be, like, worse than half the shooter he was before. He also had a career low IPP down at 65% compared to 75%. So I agree, Dom, like he may have been bad last year, but his variance sunk him even further than he deserved. Also, he had a low shooting percentage on the power play to go with that low five on five. His actual, like a funny thing is that his individual numbers on the power play held pretty similar in Arizona compared to Pittsburgh, but still, even though he was doing the same thing, his... Uh, point rate production on the power play was pretty much cut in half because you know you go from the Pittsburgh power play to the Arizona power play and that's just what happens even if you keep doing Mm -hmm. all the same stuff you've always done
0: yeah
1: also, Phil Kessel's like 33 now, so he's getting older. So I'd imagine he even got a hit for your age-related regressions. You still have him pretty high, so. Uh, but like you said, it, it makes sense that you're saying a lot of it comes from just the numbers from Pittsburgh. So maybe if you were, you're, are you saying that like if you were to project him for your own fantasy, that like, you wouldn't have him at 57? You're saying you wouldn't have him as low as 45, but maybe we're talking closer to around a 50-point guy.
0: Yeah, I I think 50 probably seems much safer. Somewhere between 50 and 55, 57 is probably. A bit of a stretch, but I think he could be someone you can maybe buy low on this year.
1: Yeah, maybe a good guy to take a swing on. Don't let him go undrafted. Like, take him at the end of your draft if no one's taking mm-hmm. him at the very least. And you could always, if, if it's not panning out, you could always drop him like a couple weeks into the season and, and go with someone else. Uh, so another player, I guess, involved here. <laughs> so going to Ottawa. Uh, so, right, they get this center and Derek Stepan who we're saying doesn't really move the me- needle very much. So there is a player in Ottawa that I noticed that you projected for a big increase over last year and a lot higher than what the patrons did. That's Evgeny Dadanov, who got signed by the Sens as a free agent over the summer. Uh, so last season, Dadanov had 47 points in 69 games for Florida. That's a 56 point pace. The previous two years he paced for 70. So I'm starting to think that I think I know what your answer is going to be. Uh, the patrons projected Dadanov for 58 points this season or 58 point pace. And you went with 66. So a big jump, almost back to what he was doing back in Florida. Uh, Do you agree with this projection? And like the thing that really jumps out at me is like Brady Kachuk led the Sens in points last year with a 51 point pace. So Mm -hmm. obviously we think that Kachuk could be better, but like to have Dadunov all the way up at 66 means the Sens are going to have to score a lot more goals. I would think.
0: Yeah. uh, I expect the bounce back there because he used to be a semi point player. I don't uh, explicitly factor for the fact that he's going from Florida to Ottawa, but the fact he is in that Canada division, right. And the fact he used to be a steady point player was the main reason that he's jumping up so much.
2: Like, so this doesn't have a whole lot to do
0: with his situation in Ottawa, right? No.
2: Because, I, like, I was going to say, uh, with the 66 points, that seems like as many... I've been going on all offseason about how... I don't know that any senator can get more than 55 or, like, 60 points top. So 66 sounds like a lot for Dadanov, But again, that's going on the the, like, what... His Florida self showed. So I guess where I'm at with him is I'm trying like this sort of reminds me how we all wondered what Panarin without Patrick Kane would look like when he was traded from Mm -hmm. Chicago. Uh, And then he was really great with a young Pierre-Luc Dubois and Cam Atkinson in his years with Columbus that said Panarin is Panarin and Dadenov is probably not Exactly, Pinarin. Also, uh, Tierney and Kachuk are. Well, Kachuk is really. I like Kachuk a lot. Tierney is not Pierre-Luc Dubois, though. So uh, it's not. It's not exactly an analogous situation. But I feel like Dadanov has the same piece to prove, and I'm really curious. Like, I really don't know whether or not he can prove to be as self-sufficient or uh, almost as self-sufficient as Panarin proved himself to be.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a tough situation. It's not. It's definitely one of the downfalls of doing everything. Based on what they did previously, those guys that switch teams and go from one very good offensive situation to a very bad one like Kessel and like Dadanov, will probably be overrated. Same with someone who goes the opposite way from a terrible situation to a really good one.
1: Yeah, I feel like that makes a lot of sense. I, I'm curious, on Ottawa, you, right now you have Brady Kachuk pegged for like 62 points and Dadunov for that 66-point pace. If you were drafting for yourself in a points-only league, do you think, if you, if you weren't using your model but obviously just using it as a guide, would you take Dadanov to be the highest-scoring Ottawa senator next year or do you think it's going to be Kachuk?
0: I I think I would lean towards Dadunov just because I think he has more vision, especially on the power play, to be the facilitator, to get more assists. And... Kachuk will probably benefit and score a lot from that, but Dad can get those assists from the other players he plays with as well.
1: Okay, so let's go now to some players that you were lower on. I remember last year when we did this, and it was your projections versus ours, uh, it was like mostly you were lower than us on everyone, and then you proved to be <laughs> correct, because you were ranking the top three on Fantasy Ref. Brian and I were not, not as high. Uh, but here, now, there's there's quite a few, actually, that the PPP are higher on, so we can dig into them. Number one, like right at the top of the list, one of the highest projected players is Nathan McKinnon, who is coming off 111-point pace in 2019 it was just such a monster season uh, and the patrons believed in it they uh, projected him for 113 point pace for next season and I guess uh, he's in this division in the West and I wonder mm-hmm. how much that caused him to take a hit because you have him down at a 97 point projection which is still great but obviously a lot lower that You know, if we're talking like 12, 13 points lower, which I guess the higher you get in points, the lower the percentage difference that really is. But yeah, do you think that McKinnon is going to have the lowest of his last three season point paces? Like the last three seasons, he's paid for 107, 99, and 111, and now you have him down at 97.
0: Yeah, so I started at 100, and the division brought him down to 97. That's the, the main factor there, but 100 is obviously still under 110. I I'm not a hundred percent sure what because it was a bit surprising to see McKinnon that low as well. Cause I also figure one ten, especially after his playoff run. I think it's just regression being conservative in general and not having that many players at that level. And for McKinnon in particular, I think because he had that 99 point season or pace, what was it, two years ago? That being The second most prominent season in his recent history probably Mm -hmm. drags him down a bit. The other thing is, this is a weird season where the most recent data we have is from the playoffs. And that was a full like six months after the last season ended. And I don't use playoff data because it's sort of like messy. And I think that'll cloud a lot of people's perceptions, but it's also an instance where McKinnon took a very like real step in the playoffs to be even more dominant than he's ever shown. And he may continue being on that pace. And that might have been a glimpse of what we would have seen if a season did start around that time.
2: So you're very open to McKinnon still cracking 100 points. This is just two factors at play. The first is that he did have that 99 point pace two seasons ago, which still weighs, uh, fairly heavily in your projection and also if you're aggressing him to other first line players there just aren't a whole lot of a hundred plus point players in the NHL Mm -hmm. so even if you respect the fact that he's a top line player which of course you would uh Other top-line players don't get 100 points, so they're still dragging down the projection that he gets. But he is like the standout, right? Second time in three years that he's put up these crazy good numbers, and that other season was 99 points, which is still crazy good by so many standards. So you're not necessarily saying the 99-point season was the sustainable one. It's just having enough of an impact on his projection in your model to just bring it down and be more conservative than more aggressive.
0: Yeah, I, I think I only have uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl that are like really up above 100 points and everyone else is probably just right around 100 points, maybe a little higher, maybe a little lower. And it's just a matter of being more conservative than other projections generally.
1: That's fair. I see you've got Matthews, like, right at a 100-point pace. And, yeah, you have a couple guys, like, right uh, close to there. But uh, Mitch Marner, I see, also. But, yeah, mainly McDavid and Dreisselt are the only ones that go a lot higher. Oh, David Pasternak. By the way, people, don't forget about David Pasternak. He's going to be back at some point. We've talked about that on on a previous show. But, yeah, Dom, obviously, you have him very high, and why not? So, okay, now let's talk about the opposite of Connor McDavid in every single way. Someone who had a really bad year last year, though in the previous season, he was really awesome. Uh, but in this case, your model did not weigh that previous season too highly. I'm talking about Jeff Skinner on the Buffalo Sabres, who the patrons have some belief in him bouncing back from his 23 points in 59 games last season. The patrons projected Skinner for, I guess, a healthy-looking 52 points, obviously very far down from his 40-goal, 63-point season 2018-19, but better than last year's disaster. Dom, I see your projections. You've got Skinner's point pace improving by only seven points, which would put him down for a 39 point pace uh so i guess according to your model is jeff skinner basically done being a valuable contributor in fantasy after that year last year i'm assuming oh if i were to guess i think you're gonna say time on ice you don't expect that to stay up which could make sense because they've brought in taylor hall so that's yet another left wing to potentially push him down the depth chart
0: yeah so his time on ice probably goes down taylor hall coming most importantly is his power play time on ice is going to take a serious hit if you look at Buffalo, they probably have a power play of Taylor Hall, Jack Eichel, Rasmus Dahlin, Sam Reinhart, and Victor Olipson. And that doesn't leave much room for Skinner. And the problem with that is Buffalo uses their top unit around 70% of the time. And it's not a lot of time for Skinner to really rack up power play points. I think that was one of the big driving factors of his production two years ago. The other thing, which I realize you sparked my memory of how my model works, and I think this might explain McKinnon a bit, but I think his power play production went down a little last year. I know Colorado's power play was only average-ish because of all the injuries. You guys can double-check this. I could be wrong, but I think with my model, I have a very heavy weight on last year for power play results and then the second year and not so much for three years ago so i think him taking a small dip there is part of the reason that he's down and it's the main reason skinner i don't expect a huge bounce back from
2: okay i just looked up mckinnon's numbers and he took like maybe a very very small dip on the power play. Like he's been about, you know, somewhere between a 35, 37 power play point guy each of the last 3 seasons, but Jeff Skinner, of course, like only 3 power play points in 59 games last year, and that's with a 50% share of power play time for the Sabers, which is really bad. Like that just speaks to uh some mm-hmm. bad variance, I think, cuz if you get if you're on the ice for with a 51% share of your team's power play minutes, you're almost certainly gonna get like you should get 10 points just by being there um so Skinner was probably pacing for like five in an 82 (laughs) game season which is uh bad so that's one reason like so that's one reason why I think his last season was even worse of course even strength um this year looks a lot more promising even if he loses that top power play deployment I still think he can pick up 10 from the second unit or close to it. And then at 5-on-5, he's got uh, Stahl with either Olufsen or Reinhardt. And that beats whatever mix he had last year between Marcus Johansson, Connor Sherry, Sabatka, Evan Rodriguez. So, uh, like, I just... I see reason to still be optimistic that we didn't see Skinner's best last season. But I am with you that um, without power play one time, um, I see... like. Uh, obviously, we can't put his floor as high as we'd like it to be, and that 40-goal season ain't going to happen again, but I still think he should be good for at least 50 points, and I still think Skinner has upside for several more, although he has made a career out of posting these really good underlying numbers and having like weird variance like his on-ice shooting percentage last season was below 7% at 5 on 5 which was awful but this what this is what Jeff Skinner has made a career of doing like looking really good and it just seeming like he has this bad variance but it doesn't actually correct itself for the next year so he can actually meet the expectations we have for him so i feel 50 points is reasonable. Uh, closer to 60 with some five on five <laughs> luck. Like, I know, that's, I know that's bullish. I just feel like his five on five situation is so much
0: better. I mean, he might not even play with Eric Stahl.
1: That's what I was going to say Brian. Yeah. Like you're like assuming like we have Victor Olofsson and Taylor Hall as left wings. Like he like we might be talking about a bottom yeah. six Jeff Skinner okay. that you've just called for 50-60 points.
2: <laughs> okay, well <laughs> I take back the 60. I think 50 <laughs> is a reason, is a reasonable goal. That was like my excitement upside. I just I have a hard time seeing him pushed out of the top six. Like there is a configuration where he fits and I think he can play both sides. So I don't see why they would bury him again on the third line, especially making nine million a year although that didn't stop them last year so i guess what i'm hearing from both of you is that i need to get over jeff skinner
1: yep (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna brian you know i love you but i'm gonna have to agree with dom here
2: this is uh this is an anti-wet blanket moment
1: sorry babe uh so okay let's go now to the colorado avalanche again i probably if i was a better host of the show i would have grouped these guys together but another guy who is kind of like uh jeff skinner in that oh, but the flip so kind of like a mcdavid man we have a bunch of players that basically were bad one year and good another year and now we're asking dom to like try to explain why he chose one year over the other year and so i'm gonna to go to andre burakovsky on the abs who was nothing much when he was on the capitals he had one good year where he pays for like 50 something points but aside from that he was generally like a 30 40 point guy last year he goes to Colorado. And he was amazing. He he broke out, right? 45 points in 58 games. That's a 64-point pace. Uh, like I said, his previous career high pace was 45 points. I mean, he never even reached 50. Uh, the patrons liked what they saw from Burakovsky last year. Uh, 33 projections averaged him out to around a 58-point pace. But Dom... Uh, Did not agree. Dom has Burkowski pretty much going back to his caps numbers with a 46 point projection. Uh, One thing I'll say is it seems like the patrons are like, because Burkowski did benefit from some injuries, I think. Like he got to play with McKinnon for a lot of the time while Ranson was uh, was injured. And so I wonder if, Dom, you're assuming with a fully healthy Avs lineup, Andre Burkowski doesn't get those primo line mates and maybe all that ice time that he had last year.
0: That's pretty much it. And I think he got a fair amount of power play time too as well last year. I'm not hundred percent sure, but he won't get the McKinnon treatment. He'll probably be on the second line, not getting as many power play minutes. And I think his on ice shooting percentage last year was stupid, just like ridiculously high. And that generally regresses and that should see his point total drop down. Not like it, it would still be the second best point pace of his career but I just don't see it at the level he was at last year. Yeah,
2: I can color in those lines that you said about getting that power play time that he probably won't get back. That was when Landis and Rantanen were both injured. So Mm -hmm. uh, he was on the top power play with McKinnon, Kadri, Donskoy, and I guess Makar would have been the fifth. Uh, So yeah, I doubt he can pace for 16 power play points from the second unit. And that... Uh, five on five shooting percentage that he benefited from uh yeah he shot over 20 percent well he actually saw his expected goal rates decrease uh, a smidge from earlier years so is a-, a guy that I like but 65 I-, I very much agree is a very uphill climb for this season and I feel like he's more likely to be on the underside of 60 than over of course you're going all the way and saying underside of 50. I think there's a – yeah, I think it's more likely – like, Elon, I don't know. This feels like a place where I could get you into an over-under bet if you're if you're <laughs> high on Drakowski. But I would say under – I'd take the under on 55.
1: I mean – I'm gonna agree with you. I mean, I've got to. Uh, I've got these uh, projections from Dom, and I really respect the patrons. But I think there's a lot of reason to be like Burkowski's a fun swing, maybe like a Phil Kessel, right? Like if things break right and he's back on the top power play, playing with McKinnon, who we talk about as like uh, you know being conservative by putting about 100 points instead of 110. So obviously, anywhere near McKinnon is going to be great for Burkowski. But there's potential downside for him to maybe be more of like a depth player on the team. They've run Brandon Saad. I don't know if he could potentially bump. Like who knows, right? Like Colorado has so much depth. It's we've talked about how. Un- fair it is how many great players they have on their team if you had to pick right now uh, dom who's winning the cup next year have you gone into that exercise yet
0: yeah i'm working on it now and that's why i told the guys that started to show that i would only take time for you guys because i just don't have any right now um i would say colorado's probably the favorite now that kucherov is out for the season if kucherov was playing or we knew for a fact he'd be back in the playoffs then i would still lean tampa but now that that's not the case, then I think Colorado is a team to be.
1: Yeah, hard to disagree with that. Like if their goaltending holds up, they don't and if they don't have to depend on like Hutchinson in the playoffs like last year. I it's hard to imagine another team being better than them. Though another front runner might be the Vegas Golden Knights. And since you have your time being so valuable, let's jump right to the next player. Uh Shea Theodore is someone who again the patrons project higher than you. So he had a fifty three point pace last season, but it really was like kind of two separate years. So you could split up and like get a very slow start, only nine points in his first twenty two games, and then Theodore like exploded 30 37 points in his final 49 games that's a 62 point pace for that final stretch uh, he was also great in fantasy you know with like lots of shots on goal like he was a monster at the end of the year anyone who had him maybe if he is, was dropped into free agency early on if you got him like that was a steal anyways uh, going to this year the patrons like him to keep it up uh, with 20 projections there was a 55 point mean for Shea Theodore close to his overall 53 point pace last season Dom you have him down at a 45 point pace which is basically saying that what he did last year is is not going to be sustainable. Is this like having something to do with Alex Petrangelo coming into the picture or just that Theodore had never been more than a 40 point guy before last season? Like, yeah, can you color in like why it is that you have Theodore not keeping up what he did last year?
0: Oh, I, I love Theodore and I think a lot of the people who are really high on him, I think the fantastic playoffs he had probably contributes to that. I think the big issue is Petrangelo though, because last year, Theodore. I think got around 75% of the power play time in Vegas. He was their number one option. I think that really helps to up his point totals with Petrangelo at around 60, 65% in St. Louis. You expect they're going to share a little bit more. And I think he scores a little less because of that. I think I bumped both down to like 60% of the power play time
2: so does that mean i guess so you think with vegas rolling two even units because they can like do you think they would have done this without petrangelo it just it just seems weird to me that they would acquire a defenseman just for the sake of it break up uh, i mean they did this a couple years ago of course but i don't know if pete DeBoer has ever rolled two even power play units not to say he couldn't start now but it just seems especially like shea really emerged as a legit... Like, the first half of the season when he was cold, he actually didn't change much. In the second half of the season, when he got hot, he actually just started getting rightfully rewarded for all the work Mm -hmm. he was putting in. Like, his numbers... Like he did take a legit step forward and his like in his shot generation, his expected goals and his on nice numbers, everything looked so good. So I would love to, I want to start him at 50 points. And I suppose Petrangelo being there does limit his ceiling somewhat. Maybe those are minutes taken away. Although Nate Schmidt ate his fair amount of minutes too, but I, I want to think the sky's the limit for Shea Theodore, but I think you and your model are probably right that we just need to temper expectations a little because we don't know how things are going to be shared around.
0: Yeah, and that's that's the big thing. Is not that I fully expect the power play to be split. It's just that there is now uncertainty whether is Theodore going to be on power play one. Maybe they do give it to Petrangelo. Maybe if Theodore has a cold streak, they switch to put Petrangelo there and he has a hot streak and takes the reins for the rest of the season. It's just It's difficult to guarantee that he'll get those minutes and that's why it's important to downgrade his usage there.
1: Yeah, I really like that you brought that up, Don. That's actually a discussion we've been having on our Discord recently of like I guess I feel like last year I really got burned by like assuming with like a hundred percent certainty like how a brand new situation was gonna work out. Like I remember thinking like PK Subban going to New Jersey, like lock it in. Top power play it's gonna be huge. Like like Jacob Truba going to, you know, the Rangers, he's gonna run the top power play. You know, both like so totally wrong. And so it makes me think like, yeah, so Theodore and Petrangelo, it's a new situation. Like I feel like we could like debate like who should be, who will be but it's like at the end of the day you're right like we just kind of don't know and i feel like even there are some situations going into this season that i feel like people just you know assume are going to be what what we think it's going to be just because it seems so obvious like you take like tyson barry going to edmonton like Clefbaum is injured you think like how could tyson barry not run the top power play all of last season but like at the same time, like there's this little like voice in the back of my head saying, but like how certain should I be? I can't be 100%. Like last year, I was so confident about Subban, and it didn't work out. So I'm wondering, like, when you were coming up with your time on ice and power play projections for these new situations, like Tori Krug and St. Louis, another one that seems so obvious, why wouldn't he step up on the top power play? But like, how confident can you be that they're going to both run their respective top power plays all season long?
0: I think in those cases, you'd be pretty confident. Uh, Krug, I did downgrade him, but I put him to what Petrolangelo was used last year. So he was at 75 with Boston. Petra Angel was 65 in St. Louis. So I put Krug down to 65. He does potentially have competition with Vince Dunn, maybe even Colin Pareko, but Krug has also been one of the best play quarterbacks in the league over the past like five years. So I don't think they're going to take him off. I think they brought him in specifically for that job. And it's the same with Tyson Berry. He's not a good five on five defenseman. I don't think Edmonton brought him in to do that and when you look at every other Edmonton defenseman his biggest competition is like Darnell Nurse or Ethan Bear and I can't see him losing that battle like he eventually won that battle against Morgan Riley He was a lot better than any other Edmonton defenseman so I'd be very confident in both of those but you're right that 100% is not the way to go because there's always room for uncertainty
2: I'm also, like, I'm with you, Dom. Elon's been pitching these... Tyson Barry off the top power play conspiracy theories for a no. couple weeks now.
1: Brian, I, you're you're misrepresenting. All I'm saying is, like, I don't want to, like, go in with 100%. I, I'm knocking yeah, a little no, bit off I, his of projection. Course.
2: we'd be fools to have a 100% certainty. Like, I, I hear you on that. But I, I really, like, you mentioned the P.K. Subban situation. And the difference there is that P.K. Subban still got the look on the top power play. He just wasn't the player we thought he was. Because mm-hmm. our narrative was that, hey, he was amazing in Montreal. He was great like in spurts in Nashville when he had the opportunity, but he largely didn't. And we assume that Montreal player was still lurking underneath the surface and just needed to be unleashed again. And that was going to happen in New Jersey. Uh, it didn't. Like, he had the opportunity we thought he'd have. He just couldn't take advantage of it. Whereas Tyson Barry, who has been successful on the top power play year in, year out for the last several years, same with Tory Krug, these guys are just going to keep doing what they've been doing. They don't have the same pause that PK Subban had. So, like, while I take. The, the lesson well you could also look to the Rangers you mentioned Truba and like that was a little surprising that he didn't end up on the top power play it was sort of just a toss up although he had never had that role before so it's still a little different that way uh, like I hear your point about not having 100% certainty but I don't think the analogy is totally there between Subban and the Barry and Krug situations
1: yeah it was I think the discussion we were having was like Barry versus like Darlene for next year and I was just saying like I'm 100% certain Darlene is holding and well you can't say 100 right like I'm 99 certain that Darlene is holding power play one on Buffalo all year and like I just can't in good conscience say I'm equally confident in Barry even though like everything you guys are saying makes 100% like you know it's like there's no one else that can really do it unless Evan Bouchard somehow comes in and is a phenom which I don't expect to happen like you know like it should be Barry but it's like Darlene we know and Barry we have to just see how how things fit uh obviously he'll start there but like to hold it all season means he has to do well Okay, anyways, back to the scheduled content. Let's go to more players that we disagreed on the projections a little bit. So Dom, you had Jake Gensel not keeping up with what he did last year. So maybe this is just a thing where your model is taking previous years into account because Gensel paced for 90 points last year in the 39 games he played. The previous year, he paced for 76. Uh, The patrons have him closer to the 90 at 86 points, and you have him back down to how he did a couple years ago at 77 uh, is, that, is that the whole story? Just like what I'm saying, that your model is just going to penalize him for his two previous years where he wasn't above a point per game? Or is there anything else to be not concerned about? You know, 77 points is still great, but like a little bit not as excited about Jake Gensel.
0: Yeah, I I feel like I'm a boring guest because I'm just going to have like the same answer every time. Like, oh, <laughs> it's been great so far. Model said. Um, <laughs> with Gensel, I think the big issue is he only played 39 games last year. And mm. because that's such a low amount of time, it doesn't change the projection from the previous year as much there's just not as much data there
1: okay that that makes perfect
0: sense right because like there was
2: a sophomore season that was so I guess there's that doubt lingering from that sophomore season where Gensel had just those 48 points he also I guess I I wonder if he's being dinged a little for shooting 30% on the power play last season but Gensel did the same to, like I'm actually wondering if Gensel can be a, a consistently 25% or higher power play shooter, which would put him in a league of his own, it like amongst power play forwards in the NHL. But. Over the last three years, his power play shooting percentage has been 27, 21, and 30, which is just crazy. So he's averaging, yeah, around 25%. And I, you know, it sounds like this where I get excited and think like maybe this is legit, especially since he just moved so seamlessly onto that top unit last season with Kessel's departure, which just meant like was a godsend for him, obviously. And one of the reasons Pittsburgh could part with him. So I am a, I'm, I'm hopeful. For Gensel, it sounds like you and I are probably on the same page and your models just being a curmudgeon.
0: A little bit. I, I am hopeful for Gensel. I remember I had him taking a big step last year because he was going to take that power play spot from Kessel. But it's it's a bit tough when he only got to play in 39 games. Yeah, so
1: this year he'll be able to prove himself or he'll have the opportunity to. The nice thing about Gensel, I find in fantasy, is like he's obviously a great player. And like I would say, like Miko Rantanen's a really good player. But I feel like Rantanen is the kind of player where like I would be really worried about if McKinnon got injured, that would really be a hit to Rantanen's value. While like the nice thing for Gensel's situation is like Crosby got hurt last year before, man, poor Pittsburgh with all these injuries. Mm -hmm. But like uh, while Gensel was still healthy, Crosby got hurt and Gensel just seamlessly got to go play with Malkin instead and was like just as good. So you sort of have that extra level of protection you have a little warranty when you draft Jake Gensel that you need two big players to get injured before he uh, takes a hit in his value okay let's do uh, one more guy before a couple of rookies that you are uh, lower on than the patrons then we can end the show with a couple of players that you're higher on uh, so I wanted to go to Washington and Jacob Verana, who had his own breakout last year a lot like a Burakovsky right even though he got to stay in Washington and he put up 52 points in 69 games last year for a 62 point pace he got like some looks on the top top power play in the end he wasn't generally a top power play guy which always makes me like excited because what if like he does actually get on the top power play i'm assuming your model doesn't have him getting that much power play time this year because i see that you're projecting him for 54 points when again i said he uh paced for 62 last year so i'm curious to know uh like yeah like what's the power play expectation for Because i'd imagine that's going to be the big part of your answer
0: i have 54 points and that wasn't good enough for you guys
1: I mean, last year he pays for 62. The patrons are projecting 63. The patrons think he's going to keep getting better because maybe he'll get more power play time. But you're like, nah,
0: less. I I just don't... I'm not sure who he would displace on the top power play. That top power play has been the same for like a decade. But at the same time, last year it was kind of average for the first time in that decade. So maybe they do need to mix things up. And I think Vrana would be a nice spice of life to that top unit, maybe... You take out Oshi, maybe you take out one of Backstrom or Kuznetsov, and get another guy who can score in there. So I can see that. I didn't put him for that much power play time though, because of how locked in that top unit seems to be.
2: Yeah, that top unit uh, up front, of course, being with Carlson on the back end. You've got Ovechkin, Oshi, Kuznetsov, and Backstrom, and it was Kuznetsov's spot that Vrana took. And I think that's one of that's one of the sort of lines I'm looking most at going into next season. I actually, I don't see a huge difference between how successful uh, the Kuznetsov version was versus how how successful the Vrana version was. But I do find it funny. Like Dom, you mentioned this unit has been together for nearly a decade and has been so freaking successful. And teams have had the chance. Like you've had 10 years to figure (laughs) out how to stop this power play. They're not changing anything. They're not even changing the people on it and yet they just keep clicking which is uh just a, a tribute unto itself for the guys who play on that top unit in Washington and i guess if anyone does start to catch on that would be good news for Vrana to get in there they did look average for a brief time but of course he couldn't hold that top power play spot so i'm like i'm hopeful if he doesn't get more power play time on ice he'll at least get more 5 on 5 time on ice he barely even got 12 minutes last <laughs> season uh, per night which is low, like a second liner should be able to get at least approach 13, uh, which Verona did not quite do. So hopefully, he'll get there. And if there's reason to think more uh, of Dom's projection than the patrons, he did have an IPP at five on five, that was 10% higher than his career mark. So usually, I would take all that and just wash it out and say, I think he can do again what he did last year. But I guess, Dom, you're not seeing, are you seeing that there's a chance for him to get more ice time at five on five or not even that?
0: Yeah. So I think the reason I had him even at 54 was because I expect a jump in his ice time, especially at five on five. And that sort of counteracts the high IBB that he had.
1: Right. And then also the fact that I'm sure your model's looking at the previous couple of years when he was below a 50 point guy. So this mm-hmm. definitely makes sense. And this would be like the conservative choice. Like why reach for You know, like a Jacob Verana at 60 plus points when you could probably get a more reliable 60 point guy unless you're really like banking on a Verana explosion, which is hard when he's not even guaranteed a top power play spot. So I I, I get Mm -hmm. that. I'm curious to know how you come up with your projections for rookies uh, because uh, you don't have any data yet unless you're looking back at KHL or AHL or OHL data. Uh, we did a show a couple of weeks ago with Victor Nuno where he was projecting or predicting like the Calder candidates for next year. And he actually pegged Kirill Kaprizov as his front runner to win the Calder. And uh, the patrons, I guess, agreed with him <laughs> and went ham themselves uh, projecting a 57 point pace for Kirill Kaprizov which, uh, you know, he's coming from the KHL, where he was amazing there. He had 62 points in 57 games with SCSK Moskva of the KHL last year. Uh, but I see you have him down at closer to 37 points, I believe. So I'm curious is... Uh, yeah, how do you come up with this? Because I know, like, Alexis Lafreniere, you've got him at around, like, a 56, 57-point pace. And, yeah, I'm just curious to know, like, how did you decide Lafreniere in the 50, high 50s and Kaprizov in the high 30s?
0: Honestly, I... I hate all my rookie projections, to be honest. Mm. Um, I use uh, NHL equivalencies and those have a tendency to be very weird. And so Lafreniere, I also, I age just those NHL equivalencies. So that does help with someone like Lafreniere and Byfield, but for Kaprizov, because I think he's over 20, he gets dinged from that and his projection doesn't, exactly equal his NHL in the KHL so honestly if anyone has my projections and they're like I don't know about this rookie projection just change it because uh, <laughs> I don't think it's that great and you should probably look at what other sources have and do an average I think that's the best way to go about it
2: okay so that said first I want you to settle an argument since we're on Minnesota and and before we get to before I try and get a more specific number, uh, on Kaprizov, Minnesota's down the middle has Marcus Johansson, Joel Erickson Eck, Nick Benino, and Victor Rask. So my question to you, and this has been a point of contention between Elon and I, how many top six capable centermen does that make? One. Which one?
0: Uh, it might be Nick Benino, but <laughs> not from a fantasy perspective anyways. Uh, yeah. is a good defensive center.
1: And Brian's basically saying that he doesn't think that like someone like Fiala or Kaprizov can get that many points because they won't have a really good center. And I countered that Patrick Kane won the Art (laughs) Ross with Artem as a center Mm -hmm. a few years back. So come on, who cares?
2: I don't know. I'm saying that I've said that they can't. I'm just saying it's wrong to assume that they have one. Like they could beat the odds, but like Fiala and Kaprizov are both like either new to the NHL or new to producing in the NHL. So we don't need to, this doesn't need to spill over too much further. Uh, but Dom Kaprizov has been on like near the tops of a lot of people's lists for the Calder. Uh, In fact, we had Victor Nuno, who Elon just mentioned on our show a couple weeks back, and his top five Calder candidates were Kaprizov, uh, Valamaki in Calgary, Ilya Sorokin, Igor Shostyurkin, or Marco Rossi. Um, Do you have a favorite among that group or someone we haven't mentioned yet as a rookie that you are prepared to draft onto your fantasy team this year?
0: I I don't draft rookies ever. Uh, I actually have a fun story from I think a couple of years ago, I'm in a big keeper league where, by the way, one of my keepers is uh, Nikita Kucherov. And oh, one no. of my other keepers is uh, Braden Point. And oh, no. his value is also going to take a hit, not playing with Kucherov. But of course. Yeah. last year I, I completely sold out for this year. So I traded everyone. I have like six picks in the top 30 and now I don't have Kucherov. So I'm considering just, Selling all those picks and maybe like improving my keepers or something, but it's been a it's been a tough week since that uh, injury was announced. But a couple of years ago, I had I think the 14th overall pick, and it was the year Austin Matthews was coming to the NHL. And the guy in second, I told him that there's no way Matthews doesn't get drafted first, and I really wanted Brent Burns, so I traded up specifically to get Brent Burns because there's a team that dissolved and their keepers all into the draft and brent burns is the best defenseman available he gets all these shots and i convinced him to make that trade i traded klingberg and 14th for number two because i figured brent burns was going to massively outscore klingberg and i'd be fine with that and then i traded down from second to number three because the guy at number three wanted kuznetsov and i thought this entire plan was perfect and then the guy in first drafts brent burns and oh. I'm left here with neither, nothing. And if I was second, I'm like, would I even, I'm taking Matthews and like, probably not. Cause I want to win. And I think that this rookie is going to score like 50 points. So like, who cares? But then he ended up scoring around like 70 or whatever and being amazing. So I generally just don't draft rookies, but I know there's some rebuilding teams out there who probably want some. And I, I respect the hustle. I just, I always go for someone who's, Already established. My sweet spot is players in the age twenty to twenty-three range.
1: So, how long into Matthews like wasn't didn't he score a hat trick in his first game? Like, how long into that game did you start regretting your decision? He
2: hit him with a four.
1: <laughs> oh, right, with four one. goals.
2: Yeah, right away, <laughs> and the Leafs still lost.
1: Yeah. Right, <laughs> Brian has to point that out as a sense fan. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, Kaprizov is, uh, is almost 24. He'll be 24 in April. So if anybody sure. almost qualifies for your 20 to 23-year-old yeah. rookie rookie age acceptability, it's him.
0: Yeah, it's definitely him. He qualifies. Um, but you still won't draft him? Probably not. Um, yeah. Honestly, everything depends on who gets power play time, and Kaprizov should be on power play one. So he's a good bet, whereas Lafreniere might not be on that top unit. Right.
1: Okay. Well, this is useful, right? Because a lot of people like your projections. We'll make sure at the end, like make sure everyone knows how to find them. Uh, So you're saying maybe ignore the rookies and come up with other, you know, other (laughs) rookie projections because you're saying there's a good chance Kaprizov can be better than Lafreniere and that's not reflected in your projections. Mm -hmm. I wanted to get your take on one guy Brian brought up, Yusof Valimaki, who had a great, uh run in liga this year 19 points in 19 games now he's coming back to the flames and the flames you know don't have eric gustafson anymore who they got at the trade deadline brian like you said at the top of the show was very excited because he drafted mark giordano in the cupful i'm curious to get your take on how you're splitting the power play time in calgary actually i know the answer because you have valamaki basically projected for nothing like 15 point mm-hmm. pace total non-entity which is probably i'm curious to know like is that how you feel like or Yeah, is Mark Giordano just going to probably take over as a top power play guy, or do you think that Valimaki is someone who can challenge? I guess this is less about your model and just about what you've been following.
0: I honestly, I feel like if it's not Giordano, it might be Rasmus Okay, instead of Valimaki, so I think I have him second. Uh, Valimaki, I don't use his league stats. I use his first year in the NHL, so that also probably hurts because he wasn't that great or anything special, but I know Flames fans are, are very high on him, so... I, okay, I can fair. see him as someone surpassing his projection.
1: And then Giordano is a guy who you actually have projected pretty high. You have him for a 54-point pace when last year he fell to 42. So you're having like over a 10-point jump for a defenseman. Is this just based on the fact that he had 78 points the year before? Because mm-hmm. I'd imagine he's going to take a big hit from age-related regression, but I guess those 78 points in the year before is a big enough weight to still bump him up above 50 for you.
0: Yeah, so the basic way I look at like those situations is that 42 points is probably like your worst case scenario for Giordano and 78 is the absolute best case possible for a 35 year old or whatever. So usually it's best to just split the difference and go right down the middle. I think if he's still the number one power play defenseman, he's probably a good bet for 50 points.
2: Okay, that's a big if. Right? Like, yeah. I, it's what I'm counting on. And I'm thinking of starting a Yusuf Alamaki ad campaign saying, Yusuf Alamaki, just not ready. <laughs> since, since we've seen that work so well in the past. Uh, I don't know. I could probably cherry pick reasons to believe or disbelieve in Giordano. By the, for the record, Elon, you said I'm very excited to draft him. I've actually just forced myself to get excited since drafting him. I didn't want to do it. I had uh, Giordano, Ryan Ellis, and Neil Pionk all available to me. And I just, I couldn't decide which guy... Uh, had a safe like so I took Giordano as a guy who I I felt his floor was going to be similar enough to Pionk and Alice but had an upside that went beyond either of those guys if he does quarterback the top unit and does have a a fantastic season all around so and and at worst I think he uh, still holds around those guys that's why I went with Giordano and like I said I, I could cherry pick Uh, why he'll be a great player this season or why he won't be a great player. I am just, uh, I am also very concerned about his age. And I guess Dom in your model, like as a 37 year old, like it, it obviously regresses harder and harder as a player gets older. But at what age would Giordano just like naturally fall? Like, let's say all of his, all of his numbers held pretty steady from here on out at what, what age would he have to be to become like irrelevant?
0: I, I'm not sure. Honestly it's it's literally all about for defensemen the only thing i care about is do they play on power play one if they mm. don't they are yeah. dead to me <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's fair, yeah, unless obviously you, you're picking a Darnell Nurse because he has so many hits and blocks, but yeah, in terms of points that makes a lot of sense. So, uh, Adam Fox last year did pretty well on Power Play 2 on the Rangers but uh, I actually wanted to ask you now about a couple more Canadian division guys then we'll let you get back to coming up with who's going to win the cup next year. Uh, so Brian brought up Neil Pionk, so let's go to him. Do you agree that Brian made the right choice taking Giordano over Pionk? Obviously you don't know the uh, full league categories, mainly offense, and then some hits and blocks, uh, but Pionk had a strong 52-point pace showing In his first season with Winnipeg last year, 45 points in 71 games, held top power play, which I know you love, and he did pretty well. uh, 25 power play points. Uh, The patrons see him going down a bit to 48 points. You gave him a bump up to 55, uh, though I do wonder if a lot of that has to do with him being in this high-scoring division. So yeah, uh, Pionk versus Giordano, both in the Canadian division. Mm -hmm. Who who would you have taken?
0: I I think Pionk. I think he has decent peripherals, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, really nice. He does. He didn't start last year on the pop power play. They gave it to Josh Morrissey for a bit. Right. And once he took over, I think he was top 10 in points per 60 in the entire league. Like not just like defensemen, like everyone. And yeah. I think that probably regresses a bit. But then you factor in that he's power play one from the beginning and he plays in that Canada division. I, I really like his chance of being a good fantasy defenseman.
2: He really turned his whole game around. Like, we were expecting him to go to Winnipeg, and he was a liability at five-on-five, and we're just, okay, Winnipeg is going to use him maybe as a power play specialist, or maybe not even that, because he can't hold his own at five-on-five, and it should have been Josh Morrissey's job forever. But then he came in and turned into a brand new player at five-on-five, looking like a Like a pretty legit top pairing defenseman, not just in offense, but all around. And like you said, Dom, those peripherals came and then the points came on the power play. So maybe I, maybe I messed up. I just, I guess my, the gamble I took was that Morrissey has a better job of taking that job back than Valamaki has the job of taking, has a chance of taking it for the first time. Hmm.
1: Uh, okay and then one other defenseman will ask you about it. And it, it, Dom feel free to just answer like power play and leave it at that <laughs> if you want but uh, Morgan Riley obviously had a down year last year when he was off the top power play for a lot he only ended up pacing for 47 points he had 27 points in 47 games uh, he paced for 12 power play points last year versus 21 and 25 in the previous two seasons uh, the patrons do have Riley bouncing back to a nice 57 point pace but you went much higher you went all the way up to a 65 point pace for Morgan Riley is there Just again, now you expect him to get all the power play time? Like no concern about Miko Lettinen horning in and uh, taking his spot?
0: Uh, Yeah, not much concern there. I think with Tyson Berry gone, there is very little risk for Riley. He's in that Canada division. He's getting power play one time. And the big thing with all the Leafs, you'll see that I have Marner, Matthews up higher than most, is that under Babcock, he used the top power play like 55, 60% of the time. And like it was inching up, it's still kind of pathetic. Under Sheldon Keith, they were up to like 65, 70%. And that plays a big role in Riley's spike.
1: Yeah, I guess it makes perfect sense that uh, with Sheldon Keefe still in the picture and all that extra power play time, I see, like you said, you have all these Leafs super high, and they're in the Canadian division. They get to play the Ottawa Senators, so uh, it makes sense that the Leafs should be on people's radars. The thing is, in fantasy already, Leafs tend to go super high because there's a lot of Leafs fans that play fantasy. So I wonder if now it's like you have to really reach to get your Toronto Maple Leafs. Like, where would you be taking Austin Matthews? Like, is he the kind of guy that you take like you know Mick McDavid, and Kucherovs out of the picture? McKinnon is it Matthews fourth? Do I have that right?
0: I I would have a serious discussion about Matthews over McKinnon, especially with the division strength. And if you're in a league where goals count more than assists, then I think you have to go Matthews. I would say he's in the top five, and I've seen draft lists where he's lower than that. So I think you can still get a decent steal. Same with Marner, who I think is worthy of a first-round pick.
2: Yeah, I don't think it's possible to reach for Austin Matthews this year. Like he ju- just because he belongs probably in the top five of most drafts. I think he does for the for a cup scoring and uh, Marner, I probably could fall a little just because he had a bit of a rough patch last season plus an injury. So he might have dropped a little further off people's radars than he deserves to have. And I'd say the same thing for Morgan Riley. Uh, You know, last season seemed like a a bitter disappointment after that 72-point pace he put up in 2018-19. Which, don't get me wrong, I don't think he can repeat that. Uh, 20 goals for Morgan Riley, that can't be a thing that that happens Mm -hmm. often. Like, I think he really is like a 5 or 6 goal guy. But back on the top power play, uh, imagine he can hold it for the season. He had 57 points with 25 power play points when uh, the Leafs were splitting time between their top two units i don't know if they're going to do that again they didn't last season so or they Mm -hmm. didn't so much last season so i really would be hopeful that he is the power play quarterback on a legit power play one unit that plays at least 60 percent of the team's power play minutes and that should like i'm with you like I, i see him getting some nice totals and he takes about three shots a game which is nice unfortunately he doesn't hit or block a whole lot but if he's doing all that other stuff then who cares
0: yeah
1: Looking at Dom's projections now, I didn't really actually look at Leafs, but yeah, you have like Tavares improving. You've got. Nylander sticking at like around 70 points. So yeah, t- this year, g- grab your Leafs. You've heard it from Dom, but okay, let's end the show. Okay. The, the number one place probably to end the show and keep people happy is in Toronto, but I want to go to another very popular team. Let's end in Montreal where uh, another player that you're pretty into and even higher than the patrons. This is someone who is not a rookie. So it's not the type of player that you're not going to draft, but it is, he is going into a second year. Of course, I'm talking about Nick Suzuki, who this 21 year old, he pays for 47 points in his rookie year. And then he had a great playoffs or right, seven points in 10 games. Um, uh, looks like you've got him pegged for a big increase all the way up to a 63-point pace. The patrons were more conservative, having him at around 55. Uh, so is the answer here, uh, it's fun now to try to play a guessing game of just every player and be like, what's the reason? I'm going to assume ice time, right? Do you think Nick Suzuki's just going to start taking the lion's share of the uh, ice time on the Habs?
0: I, I think so. The Habs obviously love him. They thought Max Domi was a fourth liner during the playoffs and completely expendable afterwards because of how great Suzuki looked and I think he might be the thing that helps solve that top power play issue because last year he didn't get power play one time. I expect that to change this year and I expect him to be used more around the 17-minute mark. I think he was much lower last year. I think he takes a big step just from usage alone.
2: Right, I'm just looking at that top power play unit that they had rolling for most of last year. So Suzuki did sneak up there when he took Joel Armia's spot eventually but before that it was armia tatar uh and domi and did it was there were a lot of names being mixed around there but suzuki yeah he wasn't on it the whole way through but this year he should be uh he's so young too like he's not Mm -hmm. even 22 years old so i'm actually really excited to see where he goes i guess the only knock on him is that he plays for montreal and claude julien which means you know offense is uh is not necessarily allowed at all times. So that puts a cap on any Canadians scoring. But do you think Suzuki is going to be the highest scoring Montreal Canadian this year? Like above, I guess, Gallagher and Tatar would be his top competition.
0: I I would say so, yeah. I think he has it in him, especially because Montreal doesn't love playing Gallagher or Tatar a whole lot. And I think he has a bit more offensive upside. I guess, than both of them.
1: Okay, yeah. I guess Montreal is interesting also. They're in one of these teams where it's really hard to predict because it's going to be a new situation, right? Because they also have Josh Anderson and Tyler Toffoli coming in. So it makes sense that they love Suzuki and they'll put him on the top power play. but they definitely have lots of options. They could go to two completely even units, go 50% each with like Petrie and Weber each quarterbacking each one. So yeah, that's a tough team, but they're in Dom's favorite division, the Canadian division. So they're going to maybe have an opportunity to score more goals than than Julian normally would let them.
2: Can I just ask if that does that cut both ways? Like if you're looking at the teams that have a bad defense in the Canadian division, like Ottawa, or like, are the strong teams even sort of poor defensively? Or is it really just that the the weaker teams are just going to get beaten up on and not going to see any advantage from their own sort of, oh, uh, strength oh
0: yeah. of schedule there? I think I don't think there is a good defensive team in Canada, <laughs> like maybe Calgary, maybe Montreal maybe Toronto after adding TJ Brody, but if anything, all three of those teams are like average or a bit above. There is no top 10 defense in that division. I think that's, what's going to make it the most fun is there's going to be so many goals and so much chaos this season.
2: Yeah. I Team chaos all the way. I'm really excited. And of course, that'll make, especially with all the Canadian teams playing each other. If you The more 6-5 shootouts you get, the better. Uh, no. Last question before we let you go to uh, telling us all who's going to win the Stanley Cup. Uh, we haven't talked about goalies at all this show, and that's that's sort of by design. Uh, we have no luck projecting them, and needless to say, we try every single time, and we're going to have our more Goalies Board episode next week. But in the meantime do you have I'm just gonna ask a very general goalie question do you have a goalie take to share anything hot anything cold uh, are you counting on anyone being super reliable or something about the way starts are being shared a bounce back for John Gibson if you want me to give you a specific question I'm just wondering like at your fantasy draft when it comes to goalies are you reaching are you fading them what's your plan
0: my my plan is usually to fade goalies and take one that everyone hates and hope for the best. I think last year, Hellebuck wasn't like that high of an option. He ended up being the best. So I think it's best to look for those guys in the late rounds than go big on someone like Price. I remember a couple of years ago was a huge pick, and he just started sucking randomly. And that's just the thing with goalies is that – sometimes they do that. Bobrovsky last year is a great example as well. Um, One goalie I think that might be overlooked is uh, Cam Talbot. He's going from Calgary, a not great defensive team, to Minnesota, probably one of the best defensive teams in the league and should see a high save percentage as a result of that. I don't know about the wins, but considering how terrible the West division is, Minnesota basically has a free ride to fourth in that division. That means... A positive record and it feels like they're going to really ride uh, Talbot to that end
1: yeah I love that pick that I'm with you like I love the idea of just waiting a long time getting all those like primo skaters with your high picks and then if you could get a goalie like Talbot who might have a decent save percentage even get get you some wins it's it's worth it and like who knows He, he could end up being better than the goalie who someone reaches for like last year everyone was reaching for Bobrovsky and we all saw what happened to them Dom, this is awesome. Thank you so much. Our annual tradition, sinking our teeth into your projections and trying to get as much out of you as we can. I think this has been really cool. Can you let everyone know where they can find these projections? Because also, one thing I haven't mentioned is when Dom doesn't only give you projections. He gives you this whole spreadsheet that helps you rank your players for your specific fantasy league. It's really amazing. Uh, So, Dom, maybe I'll just open the floor to you (laughs) to uh, tell everyone what, what you provide and where they can find it.
0: Right. So it's a fancy spreadsheet where you input all the settings for your league and it creates a customized ranking just for you. So you don't have to deal with the general rankings that everyone else puts out because they won't always apply to your specific league. And you can find that sheet now on The Athletic. I think if you just Google fancy hockey athletic, it'll probably be one of the first hits. And that will get you off of uh, trying to spell my last name.
1: Right, yeah. Well, it's really great. Like I I think you're not even selling it like as well as you could because you know, you're doing all this stuff with value over replacement where it tells you like, you know, def- a certain defenseman you might rank higher just because you see by the league settings that defensemen are more valuable in this format. Like it's really handy and it's really cool. And I I'll be honest, I've like reverse engineered your spreadsheet and learned a lot just about how you come up with like value over replacement calculations and things like that. I I haven't dug yet into your time on ice. That was a cool tip that I'm going to look forward to. Okay, so I guess everyone can- can find Dom at The Athletic or if you want to try it out, you can find at Dom on Twitter. I'll bet you if you write Dom L in the search, I'm sure Dom will come up pretty high.
0: I, I would uh, expect so, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. You're verified, of course. Like, mm-hmm. how many other verified Dom Ls are there? You're the best one either way. So, okay, thanks so much again for coming on the show. We really appreciate it and good luck in your drafts. Like, Are you done all your fantasy drafts or do you still have any coming up?
0: i i have one this is the first year that the people in my league will have access to my sheets and i'm really pissed off about it (laughs) that's funny
1: okay well i'd love to hear Uh, you should live tweet the draft and let us know every time you get sniped by someone who used your projections against you that would be really funny oh god
0: i'm dreading that
2: You need to release a fake set of projections ahead of your draft. And like, who cares how many people get inconvenienced by following the wrong ones, but then you surreptitiously swap them out for your real ones after your own draft. And that saves you.
0: I am a man of integrity and I have uh, a lot of loyal followers who uh, depend on these projections. But next year, when you uh, ask for them early, I'll make sure to send you the fake ones. And then we can talk about (laughs) your draft.
1: You'll come on the podcast and I'll be like, why do you have Connor McDavid at 50 points? How did you come up with that? (laughs) So
0: honorable. Thanks, Dom. Thanks for having me, guys.
1: All right, Brian, how fun was that chat with Dom Lucision? I love it every year when we get him to grace our humble podcast and talk about how his model made the decisions and why are we even asking him.
2: (laughs) Yeah. One day his model needs to become, uh, what's the term for when a robot, uh, his model will become sentient. And when we'll invite the model to join him on the show, we'll have two special guests and we'll all argue together. It'll be fun.
1: Or maybe like we'll reach the singularity and then they won't even have to play hockey games. They'll just use his model to simulate the NHL games.
2: That's the dream. If I could have hockey only on a spreadsheet, mwah.
1: Well, there'll be fewer injuries. That's nice. Unless, like, maybe his simulation will also simulate injuries, which would be really rude and annoying. Just, like, all of a sudden, Nikita Kucherov out for the year. Like, why?! (laughs) why why did you do this to me and teams
2: would still like have to pay players the full amount to have them on their team spreadsheet
1: (laughs) so the players just are like in a bubble not like the COVID bubble but they're just like in a bubble like sort of being measured for their skills so that the simulation can properly assess who's (laughs) good and who's bad (laughs) every day
2: they just run through a battery of trials (laughs) to to diagnose their level in several identified traits that go into the model this is perfect the future of sports
1: I like it. Okay, Kyle's asking, by the way, do either of you guys use Dom's projection Excel? I do I've oh, yeah. actually like I so first of all I use his projections uh, to make this podcast and also to come and come up with uh, my own projections sometimes I just even draft by his I, I like to actually take a mix you know like it's nice to have a bunch of different projections then I can take a look okay Dom says that this guy's gonna do this Scott Cullen says this the patrons say this and you can sort of build a whole story around what's the general consensus for a player and then like I said I have like reverse engineered his spreadsheet so now I will admit that now I make my own spreadsheet with my own little tweaks to warp calculations but like he's his is awesome and like if you you're not a wanting to like tinker in Excel you could just put in your league settings and it gives you everything you need so yeah Dom's great Brian, you're great. People who are listening are great. But I think now at this point, we need to close out the show and get ready for Schmore Goalies Borg next week, which is going to be wild and potentially embarrassing. But we're going to try our best to take every single goalie in the league and put them into tiers that we're going to recommend you draft based on those tiers. So that's what we got for next week. But until then, Brian, how about let's cue the outro music and you can go ahead and read us those credits
2: all right this episode of the keeping carlson fantasy hockey podcast was presented by dauber hockey and powered by our patrons we have so many new patrons who are in the cupful drafting Uh, thank you all for joining us you're also on our discord server and making great contributions to the community Uh, we love this influx we get at the start of a season and if you want to learn more keepingcarlson.com slash patron to be one of them uh thank you too many of you to name but thank you all for for supporting the show and future episodes of keeping carlson Logo art, thanks to Brandon Weeb, who is in my kick division. Outro music by Pat Broach, who once toured in the Vans Warped Tour. Research for this episode, which ha- with help from Dabra Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dabra Prospects, Natural Stat, Trick Evolving Hockey, Cap-Friendly Charting Hockey, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and above all, Dom's freaking spreadsheet. Oh, and the patrons, Projection Project, who are uh, like crowdsourced at keepingcarlson.com slash PPP, if you want to see those
1: yeah that'll be linked in the show notes also you can just see these, this is for free a gift right? the patrons did all the work and then we're sharing it with the world so you can see the patrons projections uh, Brian by the way if you're gonna start giving like labels to all the people we're thanking I think that Pat Roach would probably prefer if you said that he's on the reality check podcast oh, yeah. and not that he used to tour <laughs> on the Vans Warped tour a million years ago that's a good podcast if you're into science and uh, skepticism uh, I guess also let's mention quickly that another set of projections you can get are the ones over at dobberhockey.com oh yeah which uh, he has a whole guide and you could download his projections and he actually updates them all the way through training camp until the start of the season so you could just keep downloading his guide and his projections every single day for every single update so check check that out at dauberhockey.com but okay brian that was a blast really appreciate all the people who are listening to the show if you are listening for the first time we recommend subscribing, right? You subscribe. You know how podcasts work, right? You subscribe, and then you'll automatically download each new episode. You don't even have to think about it. And we've got a lot coming at you in the next few weeks. Like we said, Schmork Goal is bored. Uh, The season's going to start. Then our bread and butter for Keeping Carlson, right? Every single week, we're going to be looking at which players are doing well, which players are not doing well, and talking about who you should potentially be adding or dropping. We're going to have short shifts with Ben and Lewis coming back soon, midweek. we got a lot coming on. So subscribe to Keeping Carlson wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Get on the the boat? I don't know. <laughs> the hayride? We're going on. A, we're going on a trip together. Get so let's on have the some fun. <laughs> oh yeah, I probably should have said that. Okay, Ryan. Uh, how about you uh, say your catchphrase? Let's get out of here.
2: All right. Until next time, remember that fantasy hockey is for everyone, including robots.